it's me, Ishita, and today we're going to be chapter 7, The Baby Austin. So let's get started. Inside the caravan, I stood on a chair and lit the oil lamp in the ceiling. I had some weekend homework to do this, and this was as good as time would any to do it. I laid my books out on the table and sat down. But I found it impossible to keep my mind on my work. The clock said half past seven. This was the twilight time. It would be there now. I pictured him in his old navy blue sweater and pegged cap walking soft-footed up the track towards the woods. He told me he wore the sweater because navy blue hardly showed up all in the dark. Black was even better, he said. But he didn't have a black one and navy blue was next best. The peak cap was important too, he explained, because the peak cast shadow over one face. Just about now, he would be wriggling out through the hedge and entering the wood. Inside the wood, I could see him treading carefully over the leafy ground, stopping, listening, going on and again, and all the time searching and searching for the keeper, who would be somewhere, be standing still as a post beside the big tree with a gun under his arm. Keepers hardly move at all when they are in the wood watching for poachers, he had told him. This instead still right up against the trunk of a tree, and it's not easy to spot a motionless man in that position at twilight when the shadows are as dark as a wolf's mouth. I closed my books and was no good trying to work. I decided to go to bed instead. I undressed and put on my pajamas and climbed into my bunk. I left the lamp burning. Soon I fell asleep. Then I opened my eyes again. The oil lamp was still glowing and the clock on the wall said 10 pa minutes past two. 10 minutes past two? I jumped out of my bunk and looked into the bunk above mine. It was empty. He had promised he would be home by 10.30 at the latest and he never broke promises. He was merely four hours overdue. At the moment, a frightful scene of doom came over me. Something really had happened to him this time. I felt quite certain of it. Hold it, I told myself. Don't get panicky. Last week you got all panicky and you made a bit of fool of yourself. Yes, but last week was a different thing altogether. He had made no promises to me last week. This time he answered, I promise I'll be back by 10.30. Those were his exact words. And he never, absolutely never broke a promise. I looked again at the clock. He had left the caravan at 6, which means he had gone over 8 hours. It took me 2 seconds to decide what I should do. Very quickly, I stripped off my pajamas and put on my shirt and jeans. Perhaps the keeper had shot him so badly he couldn't walk. I pulled my sweater over my head. It was neither navy blue or black. It was a sort of pale brown. It would have to do. Perhaps he was lying in a ward bleeding to death. My snickers were the wrong color too. They were white. But they were also dirty. That took a lot of whiteness away. How long would it get me to take to the ward? An hour and a half? Less than if I ran most of the way, but not much less. As I bent down to tie the laces, I noticed my hands were shaking, and my stomach had an awfully prickly feeling as though they were about a full of small needles. I ran down the steps of the caravan and across to the workshop to get a torch. A torch is a good companion when you are alone outdoors at night, and I wanted it with me. I grabbed the torch and went out to the workshop. I paused for a moment beside the pumps. The moon had long since disappeared, but the sky was clear and a great mass of stars were wheeling above my head. There was no wind at all, no sign of any kind. To my right, going away into the blackness of the countryside, lay alone, 
road that led to the dangerous wood. Six and a half miles. Thank heaven I knew the way. But it was going to be long, hard slog. I must try to keep. I must try to keep a good steady pace, but not run myself to stand still in the first mile. At that point, a wild and marvelous idea came to me. Why shouldn't I go in the baby Austin? I really don't know how to drive. My father always allowed me to move the cars around when they came in for repair. He let me drive into the workshop and back them out again afterwards. And sometimes I draw one of them slowly around the pumps in the first gear. I love doing it. And I would get there much, much quicker if I went by car. This was an emergency. If he was wounded and bleeding badly, even every minute counted. I had never driven on the road, but I would surely not meet any other cars at this time of night. I would go very slowly and keep closing to the hedge on the proper side. I went back to the workshop and switched on the light. I opened the double doors. I got into the driver's seat of baby Austin. I turned on the ignition key. I pulled out the choke. I found the starter button and pressed it. The motor cuffed once, then started. Now for the lights. There was a pointed switch on the dashboard and I turned it to S for side lights only. The side lights came on. I fell for the clutch pedal on my toe. I was just able to reach it, but I had to point my toe if I want to press it all the way down. I pressed it down. Then I slipped the gear lever into reverse. Slowly, I backed the car out of the workshop. I left her tickling all over and went back to switch off the workshop light. It was better to keep everything looking as normal as possible. The filling station was in darkness now except for a dim light coming from the caravan where the little oil lamp was still burning. I decided to leave that on. I got back into my car. I closed the door. The side lights were so dim I hardly know where they were. I switched on the headlamps. This was better. I searched for the dipper with my foot. I found it. I tried it and it worked. I put the headlamps on the full. If I met another car, I must remember to dip them, although they were actually bright enough to dazzle a cockroach. They didn't give me any more light than a couple of good torches. I pressed down the clutch pedal again and pushed the gear level into first. This was it. My heart was thumping away so fiercely I could hear it in my throat. Ten yards away lay the main road. It was as dark as doomsday. I released the clutch very slowly. At the same time, I pressed down just a fraction of an inch on the accelerator with one my right toe and slightly, almost wonderfully, the little car began to lean forward and steal into motion. I pressed the shade harder than on the accelerator. We crept out of the filling station onto the dark, deserted road. I will not pretend I wasn't petrified. I was, but mixed in with the awful fear and with a glorious feeling of excitement. Most of the really exciting things we do, our life scared us to death. They wouldn't be exciting if they did. I sat there very stiff and upright in my seat, gripping the steering wheel tight with both hands. My eyes were about the level at the top of the steering wheel. I would have done with a cushion to raise me up higher, but it was too late for that. The road seemed awfully narrow in the dark. I knew there was a room enough for two cars to pass each other. I had seen them for the filling station doing it a million times, but it didn't look that way for me where I was. At any moment, something with blazing headlamps might come roaring towards me at 60 miles an hour, a heavy lorry or one of those big long distance bushes that travel through the night full of passengers. Was I too much in the middle of the road? Yes, I was, but I didn't want to pull in closer for fear of hitting the bank. If I hit the bank and was the front 
Axel, then all would be lost and I would never get my father home. The motor was beginning to rattle and shake. I was still in the first gear. It was vital to change up to the second, otherwise the engine would get too hot. I knew how the change was done, but I never exactly tried doing it. Around the filling station, I always had stayed in first gear. Well, here goes. I eased my foot off the accelerator. I placed the clutch down and held it there. I found the gear lever and pulled it straight back from first into second. I released the clutch and pressed on the accelerator. But the little car leaped forward as though it had been stung. We were in the second gear. What speed are we going? I glanced at the speedometer. It was lit very faintly, but I was able to read it. It said 15 miles an hour. Good. That was quite fast enough. I would stay in the second gear. I started figuring out how long it would be take six miles traveling at 15 miles an hour. At 60 miles an hour, 6 miles would take 6 minutes. At 30, it would take twice as long, 12 minutes. At 15, it would take twice as long again, 24 minutes. I kept going. I knew every bit of road, every curve, every little rise and dip. Once a fox flashed out of the hedge in front of me and ran across the road with his long bushy tail steaming out from behind me. I saw him clearly in the glow of my headlamps. His fur was red-brown and he had a white muzzle. It was a thrilling sight. I began to worry about the motor. I knew very well it would be certain to overheat it if I drove for long in either first or second. I was in the second. Now in my must change up into third. I took a deep breath and gasped the gear lever away. Foot off the accelerator. Clutch in. Gear level up and across and up again. Clutch out. I had done it. I pressed down the accelerator. Speedometer crept up to 30. I gripped the wheel very tight with both hands and stayed in the middle of the road. At this rate, I would be soon there. Hazelwood was not up in the main road. It reached you to the turn left through a gap in the hedge and go uphill over a bumpy track for about a quarter of a mile. If the ground had been wet, there would have been no hope of getting there in a car. But there hadn't been any rain for a week and the ground would surely be hard and dry. I figured I must be getting really pretty close to the tuning turning place now. I must watch out it for carefully. It would be easy to miss it. There was no weight or anything else to indicate where it was. It was simply a small gap in the head just wide enough to allow, allow farm tractors to go through. Suddenly, far ahead of me, just below the rim of the night sky, I saw a splash of yellow light. I watched it trembling. This was something I had been dreading all along. Very quickly, the light got brighter and brighter and nearer and nearer, and in a few seconds, it took the shape and became the long white beam of headlamps from a car rushing towards me. My turning place must be very close now. I was desperate to reach it and swing off the road before the monster reached me. I pressed my foot hard down for more speed. The engine rode. The speedometer needle went from 30 to 35 and then to 40, but the other car was closing fast. Its headlines were like two dazzling white eyes. They grew bigger and bigger, and suddenly the whole road in front of me was lit with as clear as daylight and swish. The thing went past me like a bullet. It was close. I felt the wind of it through my open window, and in that tiny little fraction of a second, the two of us were alongside one another. I caught a glimpse of his white painted body, and I know it was police. I didn't dare look around to see if they were stopping or coming back after me. I was certain they would stop. Any policeman in the world would stop if he suddenly passed a small boy in a tiny car chugging alone a lonely car to at half past two in the morning. My only thought was to get away, to escape, to vanish through heaven knows how I was going to do that. 
I pressed my foot harder, still on the accelerator. Then at once I saw my own dim headlamps at the tiny gap in the hedge on my left-hand side. There wasn't time to brake or slow down, so I just yanked the wheel hard and brake. The little car surveyed violently of the road, leaped through the gap, rising the ground, bounced high in the air, and skied it round sideways behind the edge and stopped. The first thing I do was to switch off all my lights. I wasn't quite sure what made me do this, except I know I was hide, and I knew that if you are hiding from someone in the dark, you don't shine lights all over the place to show where you are. I still very sad in my car. The head was a thick one, and I couldn't see through it. The car had bounced and skied it, skidded sideways in a way that it was now right of the track. It was behind the edge and in sort of a field. It was facing back towards the filling station. Tucked in very close to the hedge, I hear the police car. It had been pulled up 50 yards down the road and it now was backing and turning. The road was too far narrow for it to turn around in one go. Then the roar from the motor got louder and he came back fast with engine reviving and headlamps blazing. He flashed past the place where I was hiding and raced away into night. That means the police had not seen me swing off the road, but he was certain to come back again looking for me. And if he had come back slowly enough, he would probably see the gap. He would stop and get out of his gap. He would walk through the gap and look behind the hedge, and then, then his torch would shine in my face and he would say, What's going on, Sonny? What's the big idea? Where do you want to go? Whose car is this? Where do you live? Where are your parents? He would make me go with him to the police station and there they would get the whole story out of me and my father would be reviewed. I sat quiet as a mouse and waited. I waited for a long time when I heard the sound of a motor coming back again in my direction. It was making a terrific noise. It was going flat out. He fizzed past me like a rocket. The way he was running the motor told me that he was a very angry man. He must have been a very puzzled man too. Perhaps he was thinking he had seen a ghost, a ghost boy driving a ghost car. I waited to see if he would come back again. He didn't came. I switched on my light. I pressed the starter. It started at once. But what about the wheels, the chases? I felt sure something must have got broken when she jumped off the road on the car track. I put her into gear and very gently began to ease her forward. I listened carefully for horrid noises. There were none. I managed to get off her the grass and back on the track. I drove very slowly now. The track was extremely rough and rooted, and the slope was pretty steep. The little car bounced and bumped all over the place, but she kept going. Then at last, ahead of me and over to the right, looking like some gigantic black creature crouching on the crest of the hill, I saw Hazel's wood. Soon I was there. Immense trees rose up to the sky all along the right-hand side of the track. I stopped the car. I switched off the motor and the lights skid out, taking the torch with me. There was the usual hedge dividing the world from the track. I squeezed my way through it and suddenly I was right inside the world. When I looked up the trees I had closed in above my head like a prison roof, I couldn't see the small patch of sky or a single star. I couldn't see anything at all. The darkness was so solid around me, I got almost started. Dad, I called out, Dad, are you there? My small high voice echoed through the forest and faded away. I listened for an answer, but none came. So guys, this was all about chapter 7, The Baby Austin. I hope you like it. Don't forget to click on the follow button and share with everyone you know. I'll see you tomorrow in the next chapter. Till then, take care and bye-bye.